The bandwidth for this episode for the AR-15 podcast is brought to you by Patriot Patch Company. Visit them at patriotpatch.co. Welcome to the AR-15 podcast. AR-15 podcast. This is the podcast about your favorite black rifle. This show is for you if you're building your first AR or you've been building ARs for years. There is something we can all do to take our black rifle to the next level. Well, welcome to another episode of the podcast. We're up to number 158, and we still haven't been kicked off of iTunes, so I'm pretty happy with that. JD, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing pretty good, Reed. How are you? I am hanging in there. So uh, tonight, we kind of floated out the idea of a discussion about uh, the things that you should spend your money on and the things that you can save your money on. And so we've kind of put together a, a couple of talking points, and we'll go through those later in the show, but um, you know, I think that we'll be able to provide some good insights. And uh, J.D., do you think we had a, a pretty fair representation from uh, the listeners uh, about what their choices and preferences would be? Absolutely. Uh, the gang over at the Facebook page, uh, always great with their feedback on the questions, and uh, uh, a lot of their stuff made it into the five things, and uh, be interesting to see uh, what their reaction is to this topic and their discussion points when uh, we share what our thoughts are. And on that point, you know, I would encourage you. Uh, we have different places where we throw things out. Um, obviously, we like to hear from our listeners. Uh, we uh, encourage you to uh, write in and uh, give us feedback. We also encourage you to participate because your insights, like our insights, oftentimes are built on experience and, you know, we're all about sharing here. So not like in a kumbaya way, but, you know, like, you know, you hand your buddy a pistol at the range way because you know, that's just what we do. Um, so, J.D., uh, what have you been up to uh, this last week? Uh, this last week, I finished a 300 Blackout SBR build that I had been working on. And um, thanks to uh, Graham at Staley Shooting Supply, he got me the uh, parts kits I needed to complete that with um, a lot of those things going missing lately. I uh, also got to take my wife out shooting for the first time in a long time, and she got to shoot uh, several of the rifles uh, that I own and, and the new SBR. Um, so out of all of them, her favorite was the Tavor. So... Uh, Really? That's one. Yeah, that's one I can't actually build. So um, I got to keep my eyes open, make sure she doesn't take it from me. But uh, it was really fun. We had a blast. Got a babysitter. Spent some time out in the middle of the desert, and uh, had a lot of laughs and a lot of fun. So uh, it was good to get out there and kind of renew that. It had been a while since she and I had gone out there and gone shooting. So um, pretty busy weekend, gun related, and uh, Staley Shooting Supply uh, really helping out to. Uh, make sure I was able to take that gun out to the range. I always hate it when you're that close to finishing a project and you go out shooting and you're thinking, oh, I'm going to have to wait another two or three weeks to go out there and test it out. But uh, they did a great job. So check them out. The link for them is in the show notes. And uh, Graham, tons of feedback that Graham gives us on the Facebook page. So thanks for your interaction there too, Graham. Absolutely. That's pretty dang awesome. Um. So isn't it the case that if you have to give your wife a Tavor, you must replace it with a second-gen Tavor? Like an X95? Yeah. 
I, I imagine if I took her out to shoot the X95, the, uh, new Tavor that's coming out, uh, I would end up with the old Tavor and she would end up with the new one. Well, then I think that should tell you not to take that one out the next time you go shooting with your wife. Let her shoot the Tavor that she's grown to love and appreciate. <laughs> I'll see if that theory works, Reed. Um, uh, she's smart cookie, so I doubt I'll get away with that. <laughs> wow. Even if you have to give her the X95, at least she'll be able to shoot it, right? I don't know if she shares too well on that kind of stuff. She may just uh, keep it for herself, but uh, it was cool. She uh, she liked the way it felt and uh, liked the way it sh- shot and thought uh, the other ARs were a little too aggressive for her. So what? I guess I have my work cut out with me oh, yeah. building her a new AR. So Who the fuck it? Well, you know, I'm getting ready to head out for a shooting weekend, so I'm going nice. to pull all the rifles that I need to get some range time on and hopefully just go to town with them. So uh, we'll see. I'll, I'll report back as soon as the weekend's over. Um, so what do you say we kind of transition over to the main topic then? Sounds good. So uh, we're going to start this off with five things that you should spend your money on. And, you know, I think that it's fair to say that this is a subjective list. I don't know that there is a definitive, um, you know, AR-15 Bible that tells you the who's who and the what's what of these things. I think a lot of it depends on your experience and what you know and understand about the platform. But this is kind of just my take on it. And, and JD collaborated on this. But if, if there's anything to shout at anybody about, it's all my fault. <laughs> um, so I think that, that really one of the more important parts that you should spend your money on is a bolt carrier group. This is not a part of the rifle that you should scrimp on. You shouldn't cut back in this arena. Now, it doesn't mean that you have to buy a $500 reduced mass, you know, titanium-coated, you know, hot-shot bolt carrier group. But if you have, you know, the bargain bin of parts on one hand or something that is going to be in, you know, a traditionally reasonable range for a bolt carrier group, don't don't go bargain bin. I, I don't think you should ever go bargain bin. Um, you know, I think the two critical components in the bolt carrier group are going to be um, a failure of your bolt and a failure of the gas key. And I think that, you know, in, in terms of historically the things I have seen and heard about, uh, gas key failures revolve around a properly staked gas keys. Uh, and, you know, really, I, I'm sure that there's an anecdotal story that anybody can throw out about something weird, cracking, fracturing, breaking, twisting off, whatever. But I think that's probably the one of the principal things that happens in terms of the gas key. In terms of the bolt failure, you know, um, cracking bolts, um, bolts that lose a lug, uh, that's really kind of the principal failures that you know I've heard about. I, I have heard about bolts basically snapping on the narrows where your um, oh geez, what's the part? Um, your cam, where your cam fits into the bolt. Um, if the bolt uh, 
stresses and fractures on the narrows where that hole for the cam pin is, you're, you're going to have another common failure point. So those are things that if you can parse out the different components of a bolt carrier group, I think you're more likely to be able to get by with a bargain basement bolt carrier as long as it has a quality bolt and you ensure that your gas key is installed correctly with the right kind of screws and it's staked. Um, so that would be kind of my number one thing. Have you ever seen a bolt fracture, J.D.? Um, no, I don't think I have. I've seen a, I've seen a break at the range um, where the cam goes in. Yeah. Um, I've seen somebody experience that, but he was uh, Johnny on the spot with a brand new uh, bolt to be able to slide right in. To, so his rifle was back functioning within five, ten minutes. But uh, I've never seen it crack. I've seen one crack on its face. And, you know, it's just an odd angle. Um, not even, like, down the middle. It was, just, it was just strange. But, you know, I think that that is a testament to the fact that if your bolt goes, really, you're out of the game. If your gas key goes, you're out of the game. So that's something that I think you should make sure you're not trying to go cheap on. You know, the next one is one that while it was very often put into the list, it's something that I have reservations about. It's certainly not something that I, you know, go cheap on, that I scrimp on, but I want to I wanna kind of lay it out so that not everybody is under the impression that you have to spend top dollar for a barrel. So barrels are next. And, and I'll say that in terms of the things in a barrel that will mess with your day um, are going to be um, basically the chamber, um, the gas port, and the crown. And so the gas port is something that really without some you know, tools, a micrometer, maybe some you know, more thorough investigation, you're not really going to detect a defect on its surface uh, with a passing glance. Um, your chamber, same thing. You're not going to be able to detect a defect uh, with a, an inspection too easily. Uh, the crown, you know, I think it's easy enough to you know, check the, the muzzle and, and make sure that your crown is clean, that you don't have any anything that's you know, a gouge or any deformations in the, uh, the barrel. Uh, and, you know, if you have any... There are common um, effects of having some kind of a marred surface on the crown impacting the bullet flight as it's passing out of the barrel. So that's something that you can easily detect. But, you know, I, I would say in terms of the, the worries in a barrel, it's going to be that your gas port is misaligned, it's improperly sized, there's some burring inside the barrel or inside the port itself. There are some obstructions because of um, material uh, left in there after the port is made. Um, and that port's position and relationship to the shoulder on most profiles um, really helps with whether or not placing your... Uh, oh, and I've forgotten the name. Yes. I hope you edit that out, that long, long pause of me catching up with the senior moment. But, you know, if your gas block in relation to the shoulder is going to be affected by where, you know, uh, the port itself is drilled in terms of distance from the, the chamber, distance from the 
the, the muzzle. Uh, these things are going to affect your ability to shoot and effectively do the things you need to do. So the manufacturing process that is going to affect uh, the machining of those uh, port, the machining of the crown, those are things that are going to affect the, the quality of the barrel. Um, in terms of the chamber, um, you know, in, in my discussions with gunsmiths, with people that manufacture, with um, individuals who are familiar with barrel, barrel lives, barrel quality, you know, the, the chamber itself is really much more a function of, you know, how the reamer is applied and what reamer is used to make the chamber and you know, issues like headspace and um, whether it is, you know, a 5.56 or 223 wild or just regular 223 and, you know, what that actual chamber dimension is in terms of how it's otherwise labeled. I had a gunsmith tell me he checked many chambers uh, on a, you know, police department refit of barrels and discovered that many of them were not what was stenciled on the barrels. They were something else entirely. So I think that in terms of getting a barrel that's properly manufactured, that has all of these components properly addressed and properly uh, implemented in a barrel is going to depend on the quality of the company you're dealing with. And that necessarily translates into cost. Um, I don't think you're going to get FN or Daniel Defense or Spikes to sell you a $35 barrel. In fact, I don't think anybody will, but you know, be a little hyperbolic. You are not going to get away with getting that kind of quality without spending at those price points. But you see, here for me is the conflict. I think that for most people, for most applications, and for most manufacturers, what they're putting into a barrel is sufficient. I think for most shooters, your skill level is seldom going to exceed the capabilities of the platform. And it's not that you're unable to develop a skill. It's that not very many of us are independently wealthy with the time and the resources to spend every day at the range developing our skills. And, you know, I wish I could be that guy. It would be a real <laughs> blast, but, you know, I'm not. So I don't know that what use a rifle is going to be put to, what abuse is going to be put to, is ever going to be tested to the limits of ordinary manufacturing processes. And so I don't think you should scrimp on a barrel. But at the same time, I don't think you need to buy, you know, the $400, $500, $600 match barrel with the mated bolt and all of the other bells and whistles. So... I do think it's important. I just don't want you to believe it is the end-all breakpoint of whether or not you're going to get into an AR that you build for yourself, or even whether or not it's a breakpoint for whether you're going to buy, you know, manufacture A's AR-15. So that's that's my take. I mean, there's some great, you know, you mentioned the the, the high end there, but there's some great new companies, Ballistic Advantage, uh, one of them. They've got barrels that are pretty affordable to be able to to put on your AR, and also uh, pretty good quality. They're, um, I think, like a sister company of Aero Precision. Yeah. And uh, I've heard nothing but good things from them. Um, the barrel I'm looking to put on a 308 build is from uh, uh, Mega Arms, and that's roughly about $300. So, I mean, there's, there's a pretty good price range in there where you're going to get a good quality barrel from a good quality company without having to pay six, $700. So spending money can mean... You know, anywhere from 200 to 300 
around in that area, and you could probably hit a pretty good sweet spot there. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, and you know what? I'll tell you, I've I found some deals. I mean, I have found some really inexpensive, quality-made, under $100 barrels. And, you know, I don't doubt their qualities in any way. But, you know, the reality is is that uh, any of these kinds of uh, items, uh, price is a principal indicator of quality because the market will weed out overpriced, under-quality products very quickly. Um, and, you know, the great thing about the Internet is that you can see the 400 horrible reviews that are out there about, you know, XYZ company's product because everybody will shout from the rooftops the crap that somebody makes. So the next thing I want to talk about is something that I, I really kind of feel strongly about. Um, but you know what? I didn't see anybody mention it in any of, of the responses and any of our digging in it. Um, so I'm just going to go out on a limb and tell you all that I kicked your number three choice <laughs> off the list because I put my own in. Um, and, and that would be mounts. And I'm going to say that in a generic way, but uh, let me illustrate more specifically. Uh, if you're going to mate your you know, $3,000 night force scope to your rifle, um, I'm fairly certain you're going to want to use a high quality mount. If it's something that was bought, you know, by some cheap Chinese or Indian, you know, metal injection molding company, uh, and their catalog of, okay, uh, mediocre products, see the new addition to family behind me, um, <laughs> then those are going to fail you because they will not do the things that need to be done for your, you know, 3000 multi-thousand dollar night force. Um, you want to have repeatability. You want to have uh, a mount that's going to uh, secure its Itself in a meaningful way on the rails. You have you want a mount that isn't going to be impacted by recoil or any other jarring forces. You basically want a mount that is the result of high quality machining and engineering. And you're not going to get that from something that is injected into a mold. It's just not going to happen. Um, but I think that mount also applies to a red dot. Uh, it applies to anything that's going to try to elevate um, an optic um, higher on the rail or make it you know mount to your rifle like offsets you know who wants to think about a $200 set of optics you know mounted on some uh, cheap offset uh, I don't know doohickey that they're selling for 35 bucks you know you're not likely to get the consistency in manufacturing that will allow you to mount the quality products you have to your rifle so that they can be used the way that they need to be so for me you know really it's important to know or important to recognize that while the mount isn't a the critical part of what's being attached. You know, obviously, optic is the critical part. Um, but your optic isn't going to do what it needs to do if it is not properly mounted to your rifle. So I think the mount is the it's the component that you have to invest some money in as well. So I don't think you should scrimp on a mount. You should spend your money on a good one. Um, and this next one, I doubt anybody, anybody doubted that's listened and knows Reed would doubt that this wouldn't make the list of things you need to spend money on and spend it well. I'll give you I'll give you three guesses as you're listening to this podcast. You know what it's going to be. You know it's going to be backup iron sights. Yes, it is. <laughs> but they're important. And, and you know, I, I, I want to throw this out there that, you know, I think a great many of the listeners said that optics were important. Um, but, you know, as one of the listeners pointed out, you know, 
know, uh, you don't need optics to shoot that rifle, that platform well. You don't need optics to shoot it out to 500 meters. Um, you need sights and to shoot it out to 500 meters, you know, hung over, you know, in the rain <laughs> with a loop sling, you need iron sights. But, um, you know, I, I think that the difficulty is that in the engineering of the sites, um, you just want to make sure that you're getting quality engineered backups, iron sites. The uh, the standard, you know, A2 days uh, are gone. You don't have carry handles that are part of the upper receivers anymore. And, you know, uh, more and more people are buying barrels that don't have uh, a front sight base. Um, so uh, if you're going to go with backup irons that are going to rest on a rail, uh, you really need to make sure that you're going to invest in a quality system that is not going to fail you. And that doesn't mean that you have to spend the most money, but um, do yourself a favor and, and don't search eBay for mm. you know $35 set of Magpul backups. They're not Magpul. They're junk. You know, at the same time, don't buy aluminum junk sites. Uh, you know, there are easily a dozen companies making high quality backup arms. And, you know, on the whole, many of them are well over $100 um, and probably not many of them are too much over two. And that can seem like a lot of money for what people think they are, you know, outdated, antiquated. But honestly, you know, at the end of the day, that's really your fallback. That's your your last, you know, holdout position if you're without an optic. And so I've always, I will always say that it is important to have backups. You may never deploy them. You may never, ever use them. But when you need them and if you don't have them, you're going to have a difficult time that day. So t- two things. You could probably, instead of the eBay route, Brownells is going to be a great place to go to check it out. You can click the affiliate link and go through there. But they have reviews, so you can get a feel if you're not – if maybe you know about optics, but you don't know about backup sites. You can check out the reviews there on Brownells, and they have it listed, people that share what their experience is. And um, number two – I, I wonder if backup iron sites is actually Reed's license plate number there in Texas. No, somebody else took it already. <laughs> well, so, you know, I, I know I'm probably going to get some grief for it, but I, I think the reality is, is that there is too much merchandise out there that is junk. And I think people are often duped into buying something because it's inexpensive and they don't want to pay that higher price point. And I get it, you know. I don't want to pay the higher price point either. But the reality is that I bought enough junk to fill a box in my you know, shop, and I really am tired of going that route. I, I think it plays back to buy once, cry once. It does. And, and, you know, but I think there's still that point where people need to realize um, there is enough room in the marketplace for there to be good quality backup irons made by good quality, competent manufacturers at a price that is not going to hurt that much. So just, you know, informed consumers, go be one's important. Next up um, on the list, something I actually had experience with uh, this weekend, um, magazines, things that uh, you should spend money on. Um, just like anything else in this list, you can see magazines that are cheap. You can see you can buy them in bulk. You can get 10 for 60 bucks. Um, but there's a price you pay, and you expect your rifle to operate and be reliable. And uh, the magazine is probably one of the hearts of the rifle that makes sure that you're in business and you want to make sure you're spending money there on good quality magazines. I helped a friend out with his AR 
and he was having some feeding problems and just couldn't figure it out. Took it out, cleaned it up just a little bit, slapped a P-Mag in it, and ran like a champ. Put the new uh, Magpul D60 drum. Are you still waiting for yours? No, I've got mine in. That's one of the things I'm taking out to the range. It was fun. I, my finger is still a little sore from <laughs> going through that, but it, it ran like a champ when you put proper P mags. And so I had to have a talk with him and say, I know the, I know you have these, but go spend, I think you get P mags now for 1199 at Brownells uh, or other places, maybe even cheaper. Well, are those Gen 3 or Gen 2? Gen 3. But they've yeah. they handled the business and uh, they fixed that rifle. And so it was a magazine problem. There were some steel mags uh, that were he was using to shoot out of, and they just weren't getting along with his rifle. You know, I think that when you look at the things that have changed the fundamental components of the AR-15, um, feeding has been one of those things. Um, you know, you don't have um, uh, anti-tilt followers, and you don't have polymer magazines, and you don't have the M4 rails, you know, you don't have those because someone thought that they were aesthetically pleasing. You don't have those because someone was, you know, trying to add a little more depth to their inventory, their offerings. You have those because someone saw that there were problems with magazines feeding rifles and someone Mm -hmm. wanted to figure out how to fix it. You know, when you were getting issues with, you know, feeding rounds into the the magazines with the old standard, you know, steel or, you know, Honestly, I've never looked at whether the, any of the old ones were aluminum. But in any case, you know, they milled in for uh, feed ramps. And they didn't have feed ramps when I was in. Uh, I mean, not they didn't have the M4 feed ramps. But I mean, that was all about feeding. And I took followers. A lot of time and energy was invested into making a follower that wasn't going to, you know, have a crazy, you know, tilt, you know, uh, while it was seated in the rifle. You, know, you were going to have some you know, rounds that uh, were dragging on the wall of the, the magazine. You know, these, these things things that, you know, they just happen. You know, magazines wear out too. So when it comes down to it, if your rifle cannot get ammunition into the chamber, it's not going to work. It's just a club. So I think that you should spend your money on good magazines. And, and once again, $11 for a PMAG, I think there are many, many very highly qualified, very, very uh, many men that risk their lives daily who will rely on PMAGs and Magpul magazine or a host of other manufacturers because they do the job and if you can get them for 11 bucks 12 bucks 15 bucks 17 bucks that's still a hell of a price for what it's doing uh-huh. it's making your rifle viable and it's keeping you in the fight so definitely i think magazines are important but don't ever pay 100 bucks for a magazine that's silly you know, buy them now when they're cheap go buy what if it's cheap. what if it's a d60 can you pay <laughs> well okay but you know not a 30 round. don't ever spend 100 bucks on a 30 round. i'm just yes which is funny <laughs> because you can get two 30s for like 22 bucks and that's 60 rounds. But a D60 is how much? I paid a premium to get mine before you. See? See? There you go. I'm telling you. Don't do it. Anyway. (laughs) So, you know, I think as a top five list, I think that's a good solid list. You know, obviously there are a lot of different components in a rifle. There's a lot of things that people will place in very high regard. But I think kind of a top-down, big overview, these five things are important enough to make sure you're going to spend the yeah. money on. And so you know, maybe even the first five things you buy so that you start getting to the end of your uh, build budget, you're not having to cut corners on some of these items because you're running out of cash. 
Um, so, you know, obviously we have some people with some honorable mentions from our, our request for uh, people's opinions. A lot of folks uh, said the lower receiver was important. And, and while it is important, I think that lower receiver is one of those things where kind of the price point to differentiate, you know, one quality from another quality is so narrow that, you know, really the only thing that you're getting with big uh, increases in your cost for a lower receiver is aesthetics. I mean, mm-hmm. don't get me wrong. I, I, I'd like the, uh, what is it, the Sharps company? Uh, what's the Pirate Skull one? Is that the... The Spikes that does the... They sell it, but I think it's Sharps that manufactures it. Okay. Uh, in any case. I mean, those are awesome. The Warthog one, the Skull one, but that's aesthetic. Uh. I'm pretty sure that that Skull doesn't add anything to the rifle's ability to add a target. I think uh, it adds to the ballistics in some way, right? I mean, <laughs> whatever your target, you know, when the target sees you, it's scary. I mean, it's scary. Yeah, except your hand's holding it. You're holding it out your hand. <laughs> Covering true. up the face of, you know, your skull or your warthog or whatever it is. <laughs> um, you know, a lot of guys said trigger. And, you know, that was one of the things that I was I was kind of reluctant to put on there as a, a top five things. You know, because really so many of the rifles that are in common use today have a standard factory trigger. Uh, the military versions, the civilian versions, it's just a very standard trigger. And the trigger itself is not bad. So I don't know that you go out of your way to make sure you spend some money on a trigger. Now, yes, if you're going to increase the ability of your rifle to perform, a trigger is a very easy way to go from zero to 60 mm-hmm. in terms of its availability and the immediate impact. Not easy because, you know, who wants to spend 300 bucks on a trigger? But, you know, I don't think it's one of those things that you should spend your money on to start out. Um, the gas tube, you know, yeah, gas tube failure puts you out of commission, but frankly, I don't know that there are too many differentiations in gas tubes that are available. Um, who, who knows? For all we know, it could be just one company making a gas tube, every single gas tube. In any case, you know, a gas tube, yes, it's important, but I don't think it's part of that should spend money on. I think in all of my years, I've never spent more than 12 bucks on a gas tube, you know, so I don't think I've spent less than 12 bucks. I think they're all like the same price. <laughs> Um, we do have an honorable mention. Uh, Jody Tippett wrote in. Um, his his top three um, responses to our question were booze, cigars, and women. No, he did apologize. So <laughs> it was the wrong list. But, um, yeah, I really can't. I can't fit that into some quippy way to you know relate it to AR-15. I mean, although it's important, booze, cigars, and women very important. <laughs> it's like the the post range, yeah, you know, decompression. Jody, one of our uh, very active members on Facebook, um, always busy on the weekends, it seems like, with three gun and stuff. So thanks for your uh, feedback and the, the laugh there, Jody. Absolutely. So in no particular order, and once again, you know, without a real intent to draw fire from you guys, I'm going to list the five things that I think you can save money on. And so since you're listening to me this far, I'm, I'm going to explain to you why I put them on the list. Um, so I think first is the lower parts kit. I think all things considered, the springs and the uh, roll pins, uh, the various components that are part of uh, the lower receiver are not things of a nature that are going to require premium quality. You know, I, I think the roll pins in general are probably all part of the same fundamental process of manufacturing. Um, you know, I think the bulk of the uh, you know, standard lower parts, uh, bulk cap 
catch, your mag button, mag release button, your, uh, your front takedown pin, your pivot pin. Now, these are all things that really, there, there's not a whole lot of opportunities to differentiate one lower parts kit from another. Um, in fact, I think really the bulk of the places where I've seen real differentiation have been the places where the lower parts kit includes a higher quality trigger. So that higher quality trigger is what makes the price differentiation. So, and, and you know, nowadays, I don't even buy a lower parts kit that has a trigger, uh, a fire control group. I, I, I buy them where that part's stripped out because I know that I'm going to go into the secondary market and buy my own trigger. Um, you know, if I could just get one that was roll pins and springs, more often than not, um, these days, I'm getting um, ambidextrous uh, safety selectors. I'm more often creative or more creative these days with the mag release. And <clears throat> the takedown pins, there are a lot of options that I prefer. So, you know... But the lower parts kit in terms of roll pins, springs, detents, um, the fundamental parts that are included, I really just don't think there's too many places where they can fail you. Um, and, you know, the, the confines of those springs, you know, a, a detent and spring that retains your uh, front takedown pin or pivot pin. I mean, really, on, on what basis is that component going to be stressed or put to any great um, force? It, it's really not. Not. It's going to be a trapped spring holding a detent uh, against a part so uh, that it doesn't move unless you apply a force. I mean, that's not really the same as having a bolt carrier group, you know, slamming, you know, back and forth uh, while you're working your rifle. Um, you know, another big point that people threw in there were optics. You know, I really like the idea of high-grade optics, of Night Forces and Schmidt and Benders and Swarovskis. I really like the idea of that. My pocketbook doesn't. My budget doesn't allow for that. Yeah. And, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, I, I still sit back and I have a hard time thinking that I'm going to spend $2,000 on a scope so that I can shoot at 500 meters, which I can already do with irons, you know. And so I, I do think you can save money on ops. And really, for me, the, the critical component of this is that in most cases, the optics are not going to be purchased for some highly rigorous purpose. I mean, the reason that Trigicon and Aimpoint um, and, you know, the third company that uh, will remain unnamed because federal government's mad at them about the temperature-sensitive optics they made. <laughs> um, and, you know, I own several. I like them. I do. Um, but, you know, the, the point is is that you buy those because they are rugged. Because a Marine or a Ranger or whatever, you know, uh, trigger monkey is out there um, can abuse the hell out of it and it's going to still work. Mm-hmm. But most shooters, most people that uh, recreationally use rifles um, don't have a $3,000 optic on their rifle. They have a Bushnell or a Redfield or, you know, a, a basic scope. You know, a sub $200 optic is going to get them a deer every hunting season or, you know, they're shot at whatever their you know game animal of choice is. So the AR doesn't need a $3,000 scope to be able to do the job it's intended to be used. So I think you can save money on it. Um, and there's a lot of options, like you mentioned, including Vortex, too, that's done some stuff with us. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, they've got a great amount of options that uh, would work on the AR and, you know, save you some money and also get the job done. Well, and look at uh, SIG's new offerings. I, I think, really, if you go look at their lineups, 
you will see some some optics that have features you wouldn't expect at those price points, and they've really they've really outdone themselves. But you know, <laughs> in any case, I think that optics is an arena where you can save yourself some money. I mean, with a great mount and you know uh, a standard hunting rifle scope, you know, a three by nine, you're probably going to be more effective than somebody that's looking through a three power trigicon. You know, there are some features you don't have, but you know, frankly, if you can hit the target where you need to, what else is there? Um, triggers. So, you know, I know that it was part of the honorable mention, but I'm really going to put that in something that you can save money. You know, I'll tell you, you go out into the, the, the trigger arena and you start looking at these higher end triggers. And, you know, I think by and large, you're going to spend over 200 bucks for most trigger upgrades. While at the same time, you can buy, uh, what is it? Uh, JD, look up and verify the price on the ALG um, quality mil spec and their other trigger. I mean, I think we're talking about 45 and 65 dollars for AOG's baseline and upgraded trigger sets. How can you lose on a $45 trigger that is made the way that AOG triggers are made? Why would you need to spend $245 on a trigger if you can get that one for $45? And it goes back to that principal idea that most shooters cannot outshoot their rifles. It's $49 and $69. So, I mean, still. So... I am always going to go on the site that says you can save money on triggers because you don't need a $249 trigger to make your rifle touch off around. I mean, you can make do with a standard trigger and a lower parts kit and do the exact same job. So I do think you can save money, but I'll always tell you that if you're going to spend some money, that's the easiest way to start off with an upgrade to your rifle. It's a first line choice for an upgrade. Um, it's funny you mentioned that uh, sitting right here. And what, what do you have right there? <laughs> I have the ALG mil spec trigger. So it's good stuff. <laughs> Um, you know, I think the next part is the muzzle device. You know, I think that um, a lot of people uh, place uh, some stock in having an advanced muzzle device. And I know there are a lot of offerings. And if we set aside a muzzle device that is on your rifle because it mounts something like a, a silencer or you know, whatever else is out there, you know, really, there's hard, there, there, there is not a, a lot of reason to upgrade from your standard $15 um, birdcage muzzle device to something that's, you know, upwards of a hundred bucks or more. Because frankly, once again, the impact of that device and its engineering on how you shoot is going to have very little noticeable effect. And yes, I mean, if you're out there doing a competitive shooting and you're trying to, you know, touch off two rounds and have them, you know, land within millimeters of each other on a target, you're going to want to have something that's going to help um, affect the recoil, affect how your rifle is going to move in terms of the escaping gases, a follow-up shot. But you know, once again, that's a, that's a guy who's a competitor. He is, in many instances, if it's someone who's highly regarded in that competitive world, someone who can outshoot a basic rifle. And so, for someone that can outshoot the rifle, absolutely, a muscle device. If it gives them a tenth of a second or the you know millimeter of um, less travel or whatever it is they're looking for, then sure. But for you and I, uh, I think that we could all you know safely buy birdcage muzzle devices for the rest of our lives and it not matter in the way we shoot. So now I know that, that a lot of the listeners listed this last one and, and oftentimes it was in conjunction with a stock, and, but I think that there is it's easy enough to separate the two and it's not required to combine the two, but I'm talking about the buffer too. 
So I've owned just cheapo off the shelf um, buffer tubes and had them on a multitude of rifles with a multitude of buffers and springs inside them and a multitude of uh, stocks on the outside. And I've never had one fail, you know. I've never had one in the course of using the rifle normally had one fail. Now, I'm sure that if you, you know, give someone a butt stroke with your M4 uh, clone, uh, you could potentially damage your buffer tube. Maybe, you know, start using it like a club, uh, taking down a brick wall. I'm, you're going to put a dent in your buffer tube. Sure, absolutely. But normal use, I've, I've never seen buffer tube really be involved in any kind of critical failure component. So, I mean, I think that you can get the regular buffer for two and it's going to be just fine um i don't know i mean you know i i feel like these things to me i don't want to say that they're obvious uh, i want to say i put some thought into them but i don't know that intuitively other people would see the same things that i saw when i decided to list these I mean, jd do you have any any thoughts on on this five things you can save money on in those terms I mean, I think it, it comes to the point where it's can. I mean, if if you're looking to save some money to be able to complete the rifle, these are some of the suggestions that we came across. Now, maybe a lower part kit to you is more important than iron sights. I wouldn't say that out loud or anywhere near Reed. <laughs> but, you know, you can adjust this list to, to how you see it. Some of them I don't think you can, you can really compromise on with the bolt carrier group. I feel the same way about the barrel. Um, but with everything else, below on the things you can save money on, you can buy now and then upgrade when money comes in the future or when you've got a little bit more space or you want to try something else. And that's what you can do. So these are just kind of the suggestions to to help you get there so you're not, you know, dropping on a very uh, high-end optic, a high-end lower parts kit, and then maybe you don't have enough money left over to do the barrel you want or the bolt carrier group you want. Maybe a, a way to look at it and say, this is somebody, read mostly reads influence, and he forgets more in five minutes than I've learned in my whole life about ARs. And so it's a great thing to kind of go by to, to maybe keep the list and, you know, add some of your own, take away. Um, but don't take away the iron sights. I think Reed permanently linked that in there. I don't think it's coming out. Yeah, I, I put a lock on it. <laughs> well, and, you know, I think that always comes down to the subjective opinion. You know, I guarantee you that that one guy that got that really bad lower parts kit that failed him is never going to make that mistake again. Nope. You know, I, I've, I've never had a lower parts kit or any part of one fail. So to me, it's not as critical on my list. Um, you know, when it comes down to it, I think the consensus is is that um, at least two of the top five were always mentioned in terms of what you should spend your money on. Those bolt carrier group and barrels. Some said backups, some said magazines, but you know, a lot of the other ones were basically lower parts kit, optics, and triggers. And, and you can see I put those on the things you can save money on. And you know, it's not that those upgrades aren't going to really make your rifle better but it's like jd said you know if you're going to build a rifle and you have a finite budget prioritize mm -hmm. you know if you're going to uh, build a rifle and um, budget is no op you know object you still don't have to buy the best lower parts kit or the best trigger for the rifle to be serviceable functional and thoroughly adequate um you just you don't um, same with muscle devices and buffer tubes. And, you know, when you look at just those four components, 
uh, you're not really looking at any component of the rifle that is a significant cost on it. You know, at $49 at Trigger or Fire Control Group is really, that's a nominal expense. Mm-hmm. You know, $12 for, you know, a muzzle device, I think, what, 30 40 bucks for a basic buffer tube. I mean, that's just very straightforward, basic. Um, so that's just kind of where I sit. And, you know, just for the completionists and the guys out there, they're going to give me grief about it. When we're talking triggers, what we really are talking about are fire control groups. Trigger, the springs, the hammer, pins, and the disconnector. So, I mean, we're talking about the entire fire control. But, I'm just going to shorten it. Um, so, that's kind of where uh, I sit in this larger discussion. We'd love to, to hear your feedback uh, on that. If you do, we have a new email address we, we want to share with you, and we'll also post it on Facebook and Instagram. It's ar15.podcast at gmail.com. That's ar15.podcast at gmail.com. It's a brand new uh, email address. We'd love to know your feedback on this. What what would be in your five things you should spend money on? What would be on the five things you can save money on? Uh, we'd love to come back and share that in a couple weeks and uh, maybe revisit that. Uh, we got some feedback here, Reed. Um, well, you want to I pr- uh, start off with uh, Nick here? Yeah. Right. So uh, Nick writes in, he says, Morning, gentlemen. Was there an episode that discusses bolt carrier groups in depth? Material, coating, weight, etc. I'm starting a pistol build, and I am in need of guidance. By the way, the tax man, take it. So I'll be putting an early episode to the test, the under $500 episode. Well, Nick, um, you know, I, I, I did think there was an in-depth bolt carrier group episode episode. Uh, I'm going to have to rely on our archivist, JD, to dig through the long list. You see, I'm kind of stalling while he's digging through the long list um, <laughs> to see if he can find one, but I'm fairly certain that we did one. And I'll tell you, Nick, if you have a desire to discuss it and um, an exchange of information, email us uh, at the uh, at the show and I'll, uh, I'll, I'll tell you what my thoughts in terms of what's out. Um, and I'm sorry that the tax man is going to take it, um, but, you know, I guess there's not really much you can do right death and taxes nobody can afford um so jd any luck on that i'm december yeah december 14th 2012 is is what i'm bringing up i'm trying to find the episode we just moved over to a new website uh so nick i'll um i'll shoot when i track it down i will shoot you a message there on uh, facebook to answer your question with the bolt carrier episode all right why don't you take the next all right uh, I am so disappointed in all of you guys. All three of you are special snowflakes. <laughs> and just a reminder, Mike was trying to get JD and JW to engage in a discussion of the companies that we love to hate. And <laughs> I guess we were all trying to be very diplomatic because we love fires and we love the companies that make them. So I, does, does that mean that we wussed out? I don't think it is. I think we took the gentleman way out because you don't want to, like it's known, there's going to be 400 reviews on a company that's negative and that company is going to, going to disappear. You'd rather focus on the positive. You know, there's, there's already enough negative, uh, that we have to face for this hobby and this love that we have for the AR and other firearms. So, uh, for me, no need to, uh, no need to start whipping other companies around or anything like that. Well, you know, Mike, I have to agree with you now that I hear it. Instead of being the one that's saying it, we are a bunch of special snowflakes, aren't we? <laughs> I'm All just right. trying to be presidential and diplomatic here. <laughs> now, wait a minute. If you're trying to be presidential and diplomatic, you'd throw them under a bus, you'd say something sensational, and then you'd piss off half the country. 
I mean, I could, I could do that if you want. No, but, but I mean, really, that's being presidential. That's that's <laughs> kind of scary. Yeah. <laughs> um, so let's see. Brad Jones wrote in. He says he's planning a new build. Uh, Arrow Precision's upper and lower uh, velocity lower parts kit, uh, DEZ 18-inch mid-length barrel, uh, Manticore transformer rail. He says he hasn't decided on a stock bolt, tr- uh, bolt carrier group charging handle combination yet. Any suggestions? So I'm assuming we're talking about, okay, um, stock, you know, I am a big fan of the V5, the Sop Mod stock. I'm also a big fan of the, uh, the Voltor, um, their stock, the, the A5 system. So on that front, if you're talking about the stock, uh, buffer tube extension, um, springs and the buffer, uh, I like the B5, or I mean the, uh, the, the A5 from Voltor. So I, I'd say that's a good starting point. Bolt carrier group, um, you know, I think the last bolt carrier group I purchased was, uh, Something that um, Brownells has put up on the market on, on their website. It's a Brownells bolt carrier group that complies with all the basic requirements for the military specifications and testing. And mm-hmm. it's a good price. It's a decent price. I'll also tell you that I have many other bolt carrier groups uh, that I've gotten from BCM and uh, Palmetto State Armory. So they meet the the basic rigors and requirements to have a quality bolt carrier group. So I don't think you can go wrong there. Uh, if you're going to go higher end, I'd probably find something nitrided or maybe with a, I don't know, nickel teflon, nickel boron. I'm not sure what the combination of elements that titanium one is, but there's a titanium one that has a gold color to it, and that's kind of slick. Um, charging handle, uh, I'm still going to go with my Raptor. Uh, I really enjoy that in terms of the ambidexterity part of it. You know, I've never really put a whole lot of, uh, uh, I've never paid a whole lot of attention to the BCM offerings, but I think that they have pretty wide selection. People really enjoy those. At the same time, uh, you know, Mega Arms has the slide lock charging handle, which I have really enjoyed in my 308 and in my um, uh, 357 Sig uh, AR, simply because the slide lock, in terms of its engineering, uh, makes it a whole lot easier to charge those firearms because of the more robust recoil systems they have to have. Um, so I think you can't really go wrong with you know kind of those at the top. Uh, now, Reed, tell me if tell me if I'm playing it safe and I'm staying on the side lock and I'm. Not walking out. Uh, when I see Brad mention an arrow upper and lower, I would tend to stay with arrow and go with one of their bolt carrier groups. Um, you know, you can, of course, I don't think Arrow makes uh, anything on the ambidextrous side um, that really kind of fits my needs. And, you know, uh, I kind of believe, I tend to believe that the idea of having a charging handle that can be operated from either side uh, is more advantageous than not. And, you know, that's from having to work a charging handle, you know, as a lefty. You know, it's not quite so easy to get your right hand up there in the same way as it is for a righty. So for me, uh, the ambidextrous dexterity is the better part and i don't know yeah. that aero precision you know mated receivers leads one to that next step so i think that's a judgment call uh, i mean i don't disagree with it i just don't know that it's necessary either so um all right why don't you take the next one <laughs> I, I promised Reed was going to be a little salty tonight, so hopefully this this brings out the saltiness. Um, this is from Railroad Lover. I'm going to try to read this as I thought he said this. Reed is so boring and monotone. Nice guy, but pass the reins to someone interesting. President Reed, would you like to respond? You know, JD, <laughs> I really don't know how 
anybody comes to that conclusion. I put so much energy and passion into my product. I think I'm a little upset. <laughs> no, 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 no. I don't know. Am I better? That was, I no, know. that was better than that was better than the uh, pre-show um, rundown on that. <laughs> well, you know, as very seldom ever comes through in a podcast, I have a great many opinions that I keep to myself. Um, but you know, we we enjoy everybody's feedback. Everybody's entitled to give us feedback. I mean, hell, I became a U.S. Marine so that railroad lover would have all the freedoms that he needed to give completely irrelevant feedback to the show because at the end of the day, um, our objective is to provide a show with more than one tone and entertainment value. That's really <laughs> here on the show. <laughs> so, um, you know, really, I, I guess I guess maybe it's time for me to retire. Should I, should I hand over the reins? J.D., are you, are you willing to take it over? There was a couple minutes last week where you had to go silent, and it was me and J.W., uh, we need we need somebody that's named doubles just the initials that me and me and Jay told you have. So you need to stay around. Um, I think the show. Here's what you know, I've been around here for six months now, seeing it from this side. Um, the information and stuff is priceless. Um, there are funny moments, but there are great learning moments on this. And, um, before I got involved, um, it was so cool to learn about something I'm passionate about. And that's what's fun to see Reed. You know, Reed puts, you guys don't see it, but Reed puts a lot into the show. Um, he is a very, very busy man right now and, uh, takes time to help us out and, uh, to be here to make sure the kids don't run amok. And he, like I said, he's forgotten more about ARs in five minutes than I've learned my whole life. So I am grateful Reed's here. I won't let him retire as uh, long as he let me, lets me have a say. Um, his, his bed for shot show is just down the hall. So I'll have to close up the hotel if he decides to retire. But, um, just like it is, you know, different strokes for different folks. Some people aren't going to like it, but there's, 524 reviews on iTunes and I'm going to say 99% of them are five star. Um, we're not a show for everybody. We're for people that are passionate about the AR. And, you know, if you like railroads, you may not like ARs. I don't know. Maybe that's a generalization or a stereotype, but you know what? Um, I think to, uh, to hammer down on somebody who offers a lot of knowledge, I think maybe you should lay on the railroad tracks. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wouldn't take that too seriously. Railroad level. JD, he gets a little protective. But, you know, honestly, we, we want to improve our product. Um, and me being monotone, I think, is a, uh, a lifelong handicap that I'm just probably not very easily going to get over. But uh, I don't know how to not be boring. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just I just don't know how. So we will we will take your, your, your constructive uh, uh, feedback under advisement. Um, but I guess being, being diplomatic in the end, see, well, I'm trying to take the high road. You know, like I said, you know, I do the jobs that I do so that everybody has the right to do what they need to do if they have a right to do. So there you go. Um, so I wanted to turn to this following piece of news and we want to let you know that you should stay tuned for another giveaway. Um, we're going to work out the details and we will let you know all as soon as we get it in order. Um, so, uh, JD's working hard. JW's working hard. Um, we have a number of listeners who 
are offering uh, their support and encouragement. Um, and, you know, we've got some things in the works that are going to lead us to a way to allow you guys to offer more support and encouragement. Um, so stay tuned for that. We're really excited this year. You know, uh, we've, we've had three years. Then that's probably, I don't know, 35 months longer than most people thought we had something to talk about. <laughs> So, frankly, to be at 159 episodes and really have what I think is a pretty solid year ahead of us of content, I mean, that's very encouraging. Now, we may not ever get to five years, but I think we can probably put four years under our belt. But still, um, we appreciate everything that you guys, the listeners, have done. We appreciate everything you gals, the listeners, have done. We appreciate everything that you have made this show and this podcast into. So we are going to work our keisters off to give you guys another opportunity um, to feel the expression of our gratitude uh, and the gratitude of those who support us for your participation. Um, I guess with that, uh, any final take-homes for the show before we wrap up, J.D.? Yeah, just echoing what you said about um, the future of this year and um, how important the feedback and how important the interaction is with everyone. I mean, it's, you know, we were looking at some of the other gun podcasts that I listened to uh, before the show and 200 review or 200 reviews, 100 reviews, 300 reviews. I mean, we're up to 522. We have a, a really dedicated audience and you guys um, interact more than a lot of the pages I see, whether it's through email or through Instagram or uh, Facebook. You guys are really kind of the heartbeat of the show, and it's really cool that when we talk about a topic and throw it out there, you guys give us your feedback. And um, I'm, Reed, I'm excited to see what's going to happen this year and the years following uh, with the AR-15 podcast. And our rifle um, may face some challenges in the future from outside forces, but uh, there is a dedicated group of people that uh, really enjoy the hobby and really enjoy uh, what the AR-15 has to, to offer. And if you're looking for a home to, you know, point that passion to to be with other people that are excited about it you found it here at the ar-15 podcast absolutely and just for the record uh if it all goes south we're going to cross the border and we're going to be pirate ar-15 radio until they (laughs) shut us down or blow us up who's going to make our pirate lowers uh i I don't know we'll have to figure (laughs) it out i'm sure we can we can we can source we can have some companies move down with us when we go south of the border that'd be nice we might have to go to like central america we might have to actually create our own small dictatorship in a central american country to read it would it be called Ritica? no no no. (laughs) i don't know it might snowflake something i don't know well, in any this case. is this is what happens when we stay up late and uh, finish up the podcast. So I'm going to read us out unless right. you have anything else to uh, offer. No, I'm good. All right. Uh, send any questions or comments to that new email address. It's ar15.podcast at gmail.com. That's ar15.podcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can also send us a recorded voicemail by using the speak pipe plugged in on the right hand side of the AR15 podcast website. Uh, please subscribe and listen to the AR15 podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. Please leave a review. It places higher in potential searches. Uh, share with us your pictures on Instagram uh, at AR15 podcast. Uh, I also check the tags on there every day to make sure we're uh, interacting with you guys. Um, you can also check us out on YouTube to check out the show. Follow us on Facebook, facebook.com backslash AR15 podcast. And uh, make sure you check out the new AR15 podcast website and uh, use the affiliate links there for Brownells and Amazon. It helps us help you. It helps pay for the bandwidth and the other things that we have. 
going on here at the Firearms Radio Network. Check out the other shows on the Firearms Radio Network. And I believe next week, um, JW, he's amazing. I think I want to grow up and be like him. Because he takes vacation all the time. I, I see him always happy on Facebook, but I think he'll be back with us next week. We're hoping so. And we've got a couple of interviews we're lining up, getting ready to bring to you. Um, you know, it's all exciting stuff. All exciting stuff. Uh, let's see. Anything in closing? Oh, you know what? I'm going to have to send you all of the uh, pictures and range uh, mementos I can so you can post them up on Instagram. Please so, do. Please do. Everybody keep your eyes peeled for that. All right. Well, another show. Everybody have a great week. We appreciate Take care. Good night. Hey, since you're already listening to a show on the Firearms Radio Network, then you should check out the God and Guns podcast. Troy and Doug talk about guns from a Christian perspective and, of course, God. GodandGunsPodcast.com slash iTunes. Subscribe now. This has been a production of the Firearms Radio Network. You can find more information at FirearmsRadio.tv.